sing both verses of what a day that will be.
character. It's so good to see you this evening. Let's all stand together. Please shake hands with those around you. sounded so good I was tempted to start singing but I knew I know you wouldn't have enjoyed it so I didn't <laughs> Easter Sunday is just a few weeks away we have 1,000 of these printed up I don't know if you picked them up already but um, on the one side these this side here is for the grown-ups uh, this is um, the real tame side but then on the reverse side is the for the kids, this is the giant candy hunt. Uh, we've, we've got about two million pieces of candy over in the office, and uh, those kids are going to tear through that stuff like a tornado in a windmill come Easter Sunday. Uh, we're going to do that down at the park in Eloise. We always uh, go to one of the parks here in town, and that has been our go-to park. That's been a real nice place for us to take the, the young people. Uh, so we'll be doing that. Uh, there's 25 of these cards in each bundle, uh, so pick up one of those bundles. Um, now, that's 1,000 cards now. That's a lot. Uh, but let's, let's make sure that, uh, that we get every one of those 1,000 passed out. The teens will be uh, working on uh, teen visitation, uh, going door to door, knocking on doors, inviting people to church, and we'll be doing some visitation during the week, knocking on doors and all. And, and um, we want to see... The Lord's house full for a couple reasons. Number one, for souls to be saved. And then the, the second thing is because our Lord is glorified in the process of that. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And so we want to see souls saved and we want to see our, our Lord glorified. So let's get uh, these things and, and get them passed out there. 
And then also um, our devotionals, deep and wide devotionals. This will take you through April, May, and June. Uh, you do yourself good to pick one of these up and, and read through it. Take notes as you're doing that. And speaking of Bible reading, we just put the new schedule out. We just came through the book of Job, and uh, you're familiar with all the trials that Job had there, but the victories that God wrought in the end. And um, now we go from almost to sorrow to, uh, to sweetness in the book of Psalms. Uh, you're going to be 12 chapters a day this week, but you can do it. Those chapters are short in the book of Psalms, so pick those up back there. It's also posted online. Ladies' Fellowship uh, will be the, the uh, second Thursday of April, the 14th at 6.30. Uh, make sure you sign up back there, please. Good to see you this evening. Please say your hymn. Number 71. Number 71, please stand and join me in singing in the chorus. God is so good. God. that first verse acapella because you guys are singing so great tonight. God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Thank you, baby. Seat. Also, all the nursery workers, ladies that uh, work in a nursery, meeting uh, Thursday evening at 6.30 in the Fellowship Hall, we will provide a meal. And uh, we would appreciate it if you make every effort to be there for that. It's very important. And um, so unless you break a leg or something like that, then you need to be here. If you do break a leg, do it early enough in the day, you can get crutches, you get it set, get crutches, and come on anyhow. <laughs> but seriously, it's very important, and uh, we appreciate if you make every effort to be here for that. Pray for Joanne. She's uh, not doing well today, and good to have Jim back. That is your name, isn't it? I, you've been gone so long, I just forgot you're... <laughs> No, uh, Brother Houlihan, good to have him back with us. He's been up in North Carolina, 
helping out a sister that, uh, well, she had a, her husband passed away. Is that what it was? All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the offering and pray for the service here tonight. Brother Brady, would you lead us in prayer?
Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. I want to talk to you tonight about a marriage. And the marriage I have in mind is not your marriage or my marriage, nor even the institution of marriage, which seems to be moving in dishonorable and God-ignoring directions at every turn in our country. Now, I want to talk to you about Christ's love for his bride, the church. I want to speak to you about his devotion and sacrifice for uh, what is for him the unrivaled passion of his heart. <clears throat> and I, wanted to, I want to submit to you that if the church means this much to Jesus, it ought to mean that much to you and me. In fact, I want to speak up, uh, pick up on this analogy that Paul uses of Christ's love for the church and <clears throat> ask you a very important question. Are you married or just dating the church? Are you married or just dating the church? <clears throat> now, the difference of the two is obvious. A dating is kind of a, you know, it's uh, on again, off again kind of a thing. It's uh, kind of a trial period in a relationship where your commitments are soft, if there's any commitment at all. Relationships are tentative, and you uh, you keep your options open. No, you know, no real commitment. Marriage, however, is a covenant relationship of devotion and sacrifice and joy. In marriage, you burn the bridges. There's no turning back, and you only have eyes for the one to whom you have pledged yourself. So I ask you again: Are you married to the church? fully devoted, making sacrificial investments of time and money and energy? Or are you just dating the church, nominally involved, involved, partially invested, maintaining enough detachment so that if it doesn't work out the way you want, you can hit the door with no lingering obligations? And how you answer that question will determine whether you have, whether you have nailed down uh, the great truths that are so vital to our stability and our, our security, our overall well-being as Christians who are followers of God. Truths that are worth, worth believing, and I don't have the time to go into all of the, uh, all of the truths, but just, just uh, kind of skimming the, uh, the surface, so to speak, uh, the truth that the Lord, he is God. I'm afraid a lot, of, uh, a lot of Christians have, seemingly anyway, have forgotten that. The Lord, he is God. Uh, number two, the Bible is God's word to me. And number three, I'm a sinner who needs a great Savior. And number four, God has sent his son Jesus to be that Savior. And salvation is a gift you receive, not a paycheck you earn. And the sixth truth that you need to nail down in your life is a personal commitment to
to a local church. Now, maybe that sounds a little self-serving for me to include this in a list of, of these uh, vital life-saving things that, that you want to place before the crisis comes. I mean, I'm a pastor, and so you expect me to say that, don't you? And I'm uh, here saying that, that it's vital to have a strong, growing relationship with the people of God where you can encourage one another, where, the, where you can pray for one another and bear one another's burdens and intervene when you see a brother or a sister uh, lapsing into sinful patterns. You think that I, maybe I'm stepping out of bounds by urging you to belong and be personally involved, invested in a local church for your own sake? There are a lot of people that think so. Statistically, one out of four church attendees are considered church shoppers with no real devotion to any particular local church. An estimated 15 to 20 million Americans have said they're Christians but don't want to be a part of the church. And around 80% of American evangelical churches, now what they consider evangelical is people who believe the Bible is inspired word of God. They believe that uh, salvation is, is free, that uh, you're saved by grace through faith. That not of yourself is the gift of God. Uh, they, they, believe, they believe in the local church and all of, all of, those, all of those things, the fundamental, fundamental uh, things of the faith. But yet, 80% of American evangelical churches are plateaued or declining. When asked, uh, people give the standard answers. Well, church is irrelevant. It's boring. Hypocritical. They're just after my money. Some claim they've been hurt by the church, but in further questioning, it wasn't the church, actually, but some one person in the church. Too often, uh, one person can say something, and, and somebody will take that, the whole church. The whole church is against me. I learned very early in in my ministry that that usually when there when there is some kind of problem, some kind of criticism, something that that only a very small percentage of people are actually involved in that criticism. Usually one, two, three, maybe four or five at the most. At least ninety-five percent of the church don't know about all that and really don't want to know. My pastor, we were there in Orlando, he always said, uh, don't, don't preach about problems when you're having them. Preach about them before you have them. <laughs> and um, you know, it's, it's kind of like when things uh, happen in a church, kind of like Chicken Little. You know, you ever hear of him? One drop of rain. He said, the sky's falling. Uh, that's, that's usually not the case. Uh, I've, I've always felt like this, and I don't know whether I read this somewhere or whether I thought this up myself. I don't know. But I've, I've learned another thing, and that is that, that things are never as bad as you think they are at first. So see, all the, all the good information you're getting tonight, stuff that, uh, that I've learned by experience, and, 
And uh, you don't have to pay a thing for it. It's all free. But maybe, maybe uh, you're you're in in that in that number. Really don't don't think the church is all that important. It's not it's not a vital part of, of your life. And there's a wall that rises up when you come to a place like this, a, a kind of an automatic attitude that keeps anything that might be said or done or experienced here at arm's length. Well, may I challenge you tonight to, to an alternate conclusion based on the evidence from Scripture. Look with me to a passage that has, is often used about marriage in Ephesians 5. I want to read tonight verses 25 through 32. And as I read it, I want to encourage you to look beyond the secondary application to husbands to the primary application of Jesus and his church. And wives, I want you to ask, I want to ask you not to be examining your husband as we walk through this passage. Instead, let the foundational relationship described here ring out. So look with me, begin verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined with, uh, unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now there are two, two word pictures that makes sense to us, two analogies that are obvious in this passage. And when we read them, we can, we can see and feel what they mean. And both of them bring home to us the importance of being personally committed to a gathering like this. And the first thing here that I want to call your attention is the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. The whole context of this passage about marriage has, has this model of Christ's passion for his bride, the church, as its foundation. And the point is powerful. Jesus is wholeheartedly, unconditionally in love with his church. You know, there's a moment in every wedding when the bride walks down the aisle to her groom and everyone rises to their feet and the music begins to increase and all eyes turn to see the bride, radiant, beautiful, adorned in white. She, she seems to float on her way to the man who has captured her heart. As a pastor, I have a unique vantage point for this special moment. I get to stand in the center of that aisle alongside the groom so I get the best view in the house. I'll tell you what I, what I like to do. I always like to kind of cut my eyes over toward the groom 
and look at his face. He's grinning from ear to ear in anticipation. Unspeakably happy, lost in love for the one who's coming to pledge herself to him. Now listen, if you can see that look on the groom's face, picture in, in your mind that look, then you have a small understanding of the intensity of Christ's love for his church. It resonates through this passage. What stands out there, uh, reading uh, in this article that I'd written, written this down, what stands out there is the sacrificial steadfastness of the heavenly bridegroom's covenant love for his bride. What makes this passage even more striking for me is that I'm part of his church. I'm part of that body that he loves so intensely. The church in the Bible is, is made up of those who have been called out by the Spirit of, of Christ to salvation. The church is God's people. It's you and me and every believer in every place around the world who's put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. The truth is, when you read that Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, you might as well be reading, Jesus loved me like that. It becomes intensely personal to meditate on the words, Christ loved the church. Uh, especially when I see that I'm included among those that he loves. And, and it strikes me uh, when I see that, that, that word, and we're told that the Greek word for love there that Paul uses is the word agape. That's the noun, the verb is agapeo, agapeo. And when I see that word, it, imme it immediately takes me to the cross. You see, that word refers to the absolute unself-centered sacrifice of Christ for my sake. God commendeth his love toward us in the quiet while we have sinners. Christ died for us. He gave his life. He gave himself on the cross that I might be saved. His love for me never quits. It never wavers. never weakens. And then I read that he gave himself for his bride, and I count the cost he has personally undertaken. And the wording here speaks of, of uh, voluntary surrender and total commitment to the, to the horrors of bearing my sins in his body on the cross to ransom me from being a slave to sin and take me to himself. I... The, the, in, in Brother Tony's message this morning and something that he said and, and uh, it actually was kind of a theme running throughout the, the message that, that it, it spoke to my heart and, and that's the reason that I, I'm preaching this tonight I, I, um, got, I got the man I told him I said um, I don't know if it spoke to anybody else I'm sure it did but it really spoke to my heart and I'm going to be preaching a message tonight about that, the way God spoke to my heart about it. It's about, he's talking about in the upper room and the, you know, could you, can you imagine how those disciples felt when Jesus appeared there in the upper room? See, the last time they saw him, he was hanging on a cross, dying. 
and, and when he appeared to him, and I thought, you know, I thought, uh, I, I know it's not, you know, we shouldn't think, shouldn't take it as a surprising thing that out of the 25 most important rooms throughout history that the upper room was not included in those 25. But I tell you what, if in, the, in the eyes of a Christian, that should have been either number one or number two. Very important. And, and the, uh, the, the, you, can, you can imagine just how those disciples, how they felt. And, and uh, the Bible doesn't record it this way, but, but don't you imagine that they were probably rushing to the Lord and falling at his feet and, and just, just elated that he was alive. And we're we're going to be celebrating Easter. We actually Easter is every Sunday, you know the resurrection. But but uh, we're going to be celebrating the the day called Easter in a, a few weeks, and um, that's what we're going to think about. We'll sing about that, and I'm sure all of the specials that day will be about uh, He's alive. Jesus is alive. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a living Savior. And he's alive, and the reason I know that is because he lives in my heart. And then I read that he gave himself for his bride, and I, and I count the cost that he's personally undertaken. The word here, as I said, it speaks of, of uh, voluntary surrender and total commitment to bearing my sins in his body on the cross to ransom me from being a slave to sin. The broken body and shed blood of Christ are the measure of how far he will go for me. And I read that his holy love for the church moved him with purpose to make, to make her holy, the church, cleansing her in the washing of water by the word. I'm thrilled to see my complete forgiveness in those words, my, my justification accomplished at his word, and the gentle patient work of making me holy like himself. Be holy, for I am holy, Christ says. So Christ is totally committed to the church. He's totally committed to me. How, how, can, I, how can I receive love like that from him as an imperfect person that he is uh, sanctifying while ignoring the rest of what his love has purchased. You know, you know what I found in my life, the more like Christ I become, the more I love what he loves and devote myself to what moves him to action. When people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm saved, but, but I don't see the need of church, I have to wonder if they are really saved. Now, I know, you know, not everybody's like me, and I don't expect everybody to be like me, but, but uh, from the day I got saved, I got saved on a Sunday morning, I've always wanted to be in church. I can never remember a time, and it's coming uh, April, be 64 years that I've been saved, and uh, I can never remember a time that I didn't want to go to church. I, lo I love the Lord. I love the church that he died for. And I love being in church. I don't, I don't think you can be in church too much. 
I, uh, when I first got saved, I wondered, why don't they have church every night? <laughs> I, I would have come every night if they had church every night. But, um, and, the, and the, more, the more that I've grown in the Lord, the more I love the things that he loves, the more I love the church. If you're going to be like Jesus, you won't, you won't date the church anymore. And you won't stumble over the imperfections that are going to happen when a group of imperfect people gather together. You'll just realize it has its flaws, but it's what Jesus died for. And it's precious to him and special. And there is no such thing as a perfect church. You know, we, we tend to want perfection out of everybody else but ourselves, don't we? And um, it's not going to happen. There's, as long as, as the church is made up of human beings, and that's what it is, the church is us, uh, it's going to have its imperfections. But the Lord's going to clean all that up at the judgment seat of Christ, and, and we're going to be presented to him as his chaste bride, the bride of Christ. So the second thing here is the church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, but second, the church is the body of Christ. In verse 25, spoken of as the wife of Jesus Christ, but in verse 30, the church is called the body of Christ. We're members of his body, it says. Paul changes the imagery now uh, to emphasize something important. The image of the bride tells us deep things about the devotion and love of Christ Jesus for us, his bride. The image of the body of Christ reminds us that we have an assignment to fulfill. When Jesus bodily walked this earth, he moved from place to place in a relatively small geographical area, doing the will of the Heavenly Father and securing the salvation of everyone that believes. Now, having ascended back to heaven, he still moves from place to place, only now it's on a global scale. And how does he do it? Through us. We are his body. And we are proclaiming the message of salvation. We have, Paul, Paul uh, inferred that the things that the Lord did, that, that we will do greater. Because we, time-wise, we have more time. Jesus, his ministry only lasted about three to maybe three and a half years. But for us, look at how some of you here, you have been saved for 40 or 50 years. So we've had, we have had more time. And also we have, we have a, lot, a lot of things that Jesus didn't have when he was here on the earth. Didn't have automobiles, didn't have trains, didn't have um, planes, didn't have cell phones uh, a lot of, lot of things you didn't have radios, television you didn't have a lot of the things that we have now that we can use to get the gospel out and so in that sense we, we can do greater things than Jesus did when he was here on the earth Ephesians 1.22 expands on this picture when it explains by telling us that God the Father has put everything under Jesus' feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way, like like the fingers and toes, like the eyes and the elbows of your physical body. You, you are a part of Christ's body on earth, which is the church. And just like the various parts of your physical body, they have a specific function in relation to your body, so you have a specific function in Christ's body. There is no unimportant member of the church. Each of us has a function to fulfill for the good of the whole body. Ephesians chapter 4 speaks about the body being built up in love as each part is working properly. Paul uh, plays with this analogy a bit in, in his letter to the Corinthians. In uh, 1 Corinthians 12, he's, he was comparing the, spiritual, the, the, uh, the physical body to uh, the body of Christ or to the local church. And uh, he, he makes, uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but he said, if the foot shall say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, uh, that doesn't mean it doesn't belong to the body, does it? It still belongs to the body. And if the ear, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the parts, each one of them, in the body just as he wanted. And you can find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15 through 18. Now go, go, go with me on this. It's, you know, tune in with me here on this. Let's say for the sake of illustration that when God saved you, he made you a hand in his body. You have the gift of service that's meant to minister to the rest of the body by, by assisting and by uh, fixing and working. We, you know, are the various parts of our body, as long as everything's working all right, we don't even give a second thought to it, do we? I, uh, I... A while back, I uh, injured my shoulder, and so my next appointment with the doctor, I told him, you know, I've, I've injured, and I can't hardly move my arm. So he sent me to have x-rays and all, and he said, you've got a torn rotator cuff. And he said, you need to, I need to send you to uh, a uh, orthopedic surgeon, that's what it is, orthopedic surgeon to uh, do surgery on it. I said, no, nah, not at my age. I'm not going to be cutting on, you know, let nobody be cutting on me now. I've made it all these years without ever being cut on. I'm not going to do it now. I said, I'll, I'll just live with it. Well, then a week later, the same thing happened with this shoulder. This one's not well yet. And now I'm having with this shoulder. And, and still, and I, I never, you know, I never was totally immobile with this one. But with this one, and even doing like this, it, it hurts. You see the pain I'm in for you? And uh, the suffering I go through? Uh, but, but you find out how important each part of the body is. I use that illustration to, to show you how we don't, we don't stop to think about those things if everything's working right. 
But whenever, whenever we got a problem, you know, and his uh, brother Tony the other day, I think he stubbed his, stubbed his toe, and he said, my whole body ached when I stubbed my, my toe. You rest of your body rushed to the aid of that sore toe, you know, that one toe. Did you know that same way it is in the church, the body of Christ? As long as everything's going good, you know, everybody's doing their part, everybody's functioning the way God intends for them to do, everything's go, it goes great, doesn't it? Everything's just hunky-dory, but... But let one person, one person in that body not function. Not, they're not going to do what God wants them to do in the body and what happens. Well, we can still go on just like I can still go on. Even if I, I got two shoulders that are tender, I can still go on. Uh, and the church can still go on. But see, I can't be as effective with those deficient shoulders and neither can the local church be as effective as it ought to be if you're not fulfilling your function in the body of Christ in the local church. Each one of us has a function to feel, fulfill for the good of the whole body. <clears throat> you... You're the gift of service that's meant to minister to the rest of the body by, by assisting. Uh, you're the oil in the machinery that keeps things running smoothly. So what happens when you say, I love you, Jesus, but I don't want to be a part of the church. I don't, I, you know, I just don't want to be committed. That's kind of a dirty word for Christians nowadays, isn't it? Commitment. That's like saying, Jesus, I love you, but I don't want to be a part of your body. So I'm cutting off your hand from your body. But hey, I really do love you, okay? Now how would, how would that work out for your physical body if your parts did a little mutiny? As your big toe, let me just say, you know, I'm sick and tired of working with these other toes. They're all a bunch of losers. I do most of the work. And they're still, they get treated as equals. So I think I'm just going to take a break. You don't really need me anyhow. You get the point, don't you? If you're a Christian, you have an assignment fulfilled in the body of Christ. He's on the move. He needs every member of his body in on what he's doing. So when you're missing in action, half-hearted, casually committed, the rest of the body is crippled and weakened. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it calls us to a different value system when it comes to the church. And listen to these words. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting or encouraging one another, and so much the more, as you, see, as you see the day approaching. What day is that talking about? It's talking about the day of the Lord. For this church to be all that God wants it to be, each member needs to be working properly, needs to be connected, needs to be participating, sharing the burdens and the joys together. Most of you here today are living examples of this message, and, and I can't thank you enough for your example and your partnership and your stewardship of life for his sake. 
But I want to also urge, if you're one of those on the margins who are just going through the motions, you're, you're acting out of habit rather than a sense of responsibility and a, and a love and a love for the Lord Jesus and for his body, the body of Christ. I saw this little statement one time that I wrote down. It said, the church is a body, and I'm either a productive member of that organism, or I am actively contributing to its dismemberment. Let me read that again. The church is a body, and I'm either a productive member of that organism, or I am actively contributing to its dismemberment. So I ask you again, are you married or just dating the church? Would you stand please with the heads bowed? Now Heavenly Father, I pray that you speak to every heart. I pray Lord you use the message tonight. May the Holy Spirit make the application in our hearts and lives and first Lord if there's somebody here without Christ they've never been saved I pray you'll help them to come and let us take the Bible and show them from the Bible how they can be saved and how they can know they're saved and know that when they die they'll go to heaven if there's someone tonight that needs assurance maybe they there there have been some doubts or things that maybe have happened that have caused some doubts in their life about their salvation. I pray you to help them to come and help us, and, and Lord, let us help them to have the assurance of their salvation restored. And Lord, if there if are folks tonight, maybe, maybe they're one of those that kind of in the margin area, the fringe area, they're not really totally committed to the church, to the Lord. I pray, Lord, you'll help them to come and surrender their lives to a life of commitment to serving you and doing their part in the body of Christ, which is the local church, and being, being the asset, the, the uh, part that is needed to help us to be 100% in our service uh, to and for the Lord. So uh, speak to each person, each need, help each of us do what we ought to do for I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing a verse of invitation song, we invite you to come. Mm -hmm. 